0: This is Pastor Derek Thomas of Living Witness Ministries, and I want to welcome you to the Living Word Podcast. I pray that today's teaching blesses you, inspires you, and encourages you to live a life worthy of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that we serve. God bless. text for our message this morning is actually found in the New Testament. It's found in Paul's letter to the church of Philippi. It's the third chapter, verses 13 through 16. What is it? What is it? Philippians, the third chapter, verses 13 through 16. I'll be attempting to read from the New King James Version of God's Holy Word, because once again, Steve, I forgot my glasses. <laughs> no, no, I'm good. However, I got the magnifying glass that you gave me. So we praise God for that. I praise God for friends, folks, because that's a blessing. But what you find written there reads in this fashion, sort of. So if I mess up a little bit, please bear with me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think, otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. As we speak this morning to the subject, meet the press, amen? Meet the press. I, In the 51 years that I've been alive, a lot of things have happened in, in my life on Sundays. I've seen all kinds of things happen when I was little. We didn't have a choice when I was a baby. Is once I was able to, hey, before I was able to walk. Once I was home and my parents thought I was home long enough. I was in church every Sunday. I was. I I didn't understand it. I didn't know. I went from a situation like that to when I was a toddler running around the running around the pulpit. You know, the pastor at that time was saying he's gonna be a preacher someday, and my mom was like, no, he's not. <laughs> no, he's not. To through my younger years, even through my teenage years, trying to run away. It just, it just. I just found that. On Sunday, it just made sense for me to be in worship. Some things we just mentally equate. They're called mental pegs. I'm learning that in my psychology class. It's called mental pegs. You associate things in life with mental pegs that you have. They're foundational grounding points that are set and etched in stone. In my 51 years of life, I found that if it's Sunday, I'm in worship. It makes sense to me. Even if, I'm on, even if I'm traveling, I'm out of town, I'm not able to actually make it into worship, I'm taking time out to worship God, worship him in prayer, worship him in study, worship him in some way, shape, or form. It's funny because society has, a, has a, an uncanny way of taking things that are God-ordained and doing the same thing with them. I'm 51 years old, and for me, in my mind, if it's Sunday, it's worship time. Yet, about 70, 71 years ago, somebody at NBC had the bright idea to come up with a show that's called Meet the Press. And this show has been around since the 1940s. And it's changed in format, and it's changed in type, and it's changed in presentation, and it's changed in hosts. But the one thing that's remained the same is is the promotional tagline concerning the program. And no matter when I'd watch it, uh, as far as the promotion, because I watched a lot of TV when I was younger, The tagline always was, if it's Sunday, it's meet the press. If it's Sunday, it's appropriate that you equate that with the show, meeting the press. So as I began to look at this particular passage of scripture, the Lord began to deal with me so often. He was letting me know my people fail to realize that the information and the insight that I'm giving them is for more than just something to sound good. It's for more than just you saying, okay, I know thus and so. The word lets us know that we have to put work in to get the reward of eternal life. God didn't save us to just say, okay, I'm saved for us to kick our feet up and say there's nothing to do. He saved us with the intent of going out and making a difference. The premise of sowing and reaping, so often we just want to just relegate it to just money, but it's so much more than money. We sow into people's lives with the words that we say. We sow into people's lives with the actions that we take. No matter how great or how small, everything we do has an impact. So my desire is to make sure that every single day that I live, to the best of my ability, I aspire to sow a seed. Because every seed that we sow, be it good or bad, a harvest is coming from. So day in and day out, We should weary not, as the word says, in well-doing, because for us, the due season comes if we faint not. But God never said that it wouldn't be difficult. God never said that it would be a flowery bed of ease. We run into challenges day in and day out. We run into challenges that might be our job might not just make it conducive for us to worship. It might be that individual that we know in our lives that, that does everything that they can to try to discredit or disrupt our letting our light shine. It might be a family member or a child that just gives us all kinds of issues and just gives us the total flux and we don't know what to do. And when these things come along in life, these oppressors, they press on our faith, they press on our capacity to serve, they press on our will to do, but, but like the, 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 the uh, tagline says, be it Sunday, be it Wednesday, be it Friday, I take it and change it this way. If we're believers, every day for us is a day for us to meet the press. Amen? Amen. Every day for, is a day for us to meet the press that the enemy's going to send because the word tells us that the enemy comes in like a flood, but it also tells us that when he comes in like a flood, the Lord has lifted up a standard against him. At that point of impact, when a wave comes in and hits a wall like it does downtown at Shore Drive, the wave crashes. The reason why the wave crashes is that the wave is hitting, the wave, which is an irresistible force, is hitting the wall, which is a movable object, and when that happens, all that energy has to go somewhere, and there's an impact. Every time we meet the press, we're making an impact in the lives of others, and God desires us to be impact makers to make a difference in people's lives, amen? Right. And you may say, well, how do you make a difference in people's lives? I'm gonna tell you real quick, and then we're gonna enjoy the rest of this beautiful day because we finally got sunshine, amen? So we have to realize that we have to move out of the ordinary thinking of walking by sight and into the extraordinary thinking of walking by faith. First, by providing accurate information, amen? It says here in our pastor scriptures, I parap- paraphrased before, Paul went into giving us the key to being effective in life. He said, as I paraphrase you, look, brothers, I'm letting you know I don't have all the answers. I've not counted myself to have apprehended anything. In other words, I've not achieved anything. I'm flawed just like you are. All of us are flawed. All of us have issues. But the thing that I've learned is that there's value in things that are flawed. And I think the way the Lord, for me, brought that point home was about maybe 51, 41, 31. About 20 years ago, when leather jackets and the distressed leather were really, really popular, I went into a store. Went to a store, and I was looking at this leather jacket. And my wife at the time, she's like, that jacket looks horrible. Because it was all different colors, and it looked like it was stretched, It looked like it someone had put it out on the expressway, ran over it with a couple of 18-wheelers, threw it in some mud afterwards. It just looked horrible. But this jacket was a better part of $1,000. And I'm like, I go to the clerk. I'm like, excuse me, ma'am, um, is this a typo on the tag? Because it says $1,000, and no disrespect, but this jacket looks horrible. And she said, no, that's exactly how it's supposed to look because, catch this, it's distressed leather. I said, what's distressed leather? She said, distressed leather, catch this, it's leather, leather that has not been treated and basically it's come directly off the animal that contributed it and it hadn't been treated. It hadn't been made to, to blend. It hadn't been made to be all one color. It's designed to give the natural look. And the natural look is valuable because It takes more to preserve the natural look. So often what we want to do in life is we want to just blend in. It's easier to blend in. It's cheaper. It's less of an investment for us to blend in. It's just easier to blend in. We don't have to uh, look different. We don't have to to sound different. But, But I submit to you that what Paul is letting us know is that God wants us to be different. He needs us to be different. The word tells us. That we're a peculiar people, we're a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation. And I used to make my mom laugh all the time, like, "Mom, God says I can be peculiar, so you okay?" And she was like, "I don't know about that. I'm gonna have to pray a little more now." But God has designed us to be peculiar. He wants us to understand that there's value in being distressed. There's value in being pressed. There's value in people seeing the scars that we have. There's value in people knowing I'm not coming to you saying I got all the answers. I'm coming to you letting you know the truth of the matter as it pertains to our walk in Christ. Christ called us to be flawed just the way we are. That's why why the songwriter wrote, just as I am. It didn't say, just as I need to present myself. It's just as I am. God, all I can give you is me. God created each of us just the way he wants us. He created each of us, flaws and all, just the way we are. Because those flaws might be the very jagged edges that fit in the groove of somebody else that needs what you have. So often we think about individuals, oh, he's got a temper or "or she's insecure or he's this or she's that. But God created us that way because there's someone that has the key to unlock the door to that heart, and that someone might be you. You never know. The experiences that each of us go through are designed to be a blessing to somebody else. I wonder about some of the things that I've gone through. My my girlfriend and I were talking about this just in recently, just the issues and the challenges that, that we've gone through, the heartaches that we've gone through in our lives, you know, with our, our you know previous relationships and everything else. It's like, why? We've tried to be good people, you know, in our individual walks as we were. We never said that either one of us were perfect, but what we were was perfect in God's standpoint and mature enough to realize that in the midst of the flaws that we have. We still have a lot to offer and to give. And what happens is that God takes those imperfections and uses them to bless other people. So that when he puts two imperfect imperfect things together, and they together form a perfect picture of him, because two is a number of witness, then people can see that and witness what happened and realize the value of those two individuals that have gone through something. They've not been treated. They've not sought to change. They've not sought to blend in. Like that jacket, they came together just as they were. And the texture and and the the binds that hold them together and the scars from from being wounded and the the, the discolorations from being bruised, all those things when people begin to hear their story make that relationship valuable. So as I listened to that lady, I'm like, okay, I can see the value of the jacket. I didn't buy it, but I understood the value of it. But what am I saying? What I'm saying is Paul makes it quite clear. Look, I'm letting you know I'm not coming to you with all the answers. I'm not coming to you thumping on a Bible with a a designer suit on, letting you know that everything is in order. I'm letting you know that I'm out of order. But in the midst of me being out of order, I'm trying to usher you into the presence of the one that can get us all in order. And that's what we should be doing today. So often we want to have everything just so before we step out. We want to walk by sight. It's got to look this way. It's got to sound this way. It's got to feel this way. But walking by faith is us stepping off of something into nothing, believing that God is going to have something there for your foot to land on. And in the midst of doing that, that's how the blessings come. That's how the change comes in people's lives. But we have to first let them know uh, that, that by let them know this rather by providing accurate information. Secondly, We walk by faith and not by sight in meeting the press that comes in our lives by having the right motivation. Amen. we got to have the right driving force behind us. Paul went on to say, as I paraphrase and, and try to read with this magnifying glass, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. In order to follow God the way that he's called us to truly follow him, the word lets us know, and it's said, it's said in the word that you can't love God and money at the same time. You can't love God and mammon at the same time. You gotta love one and you gotta hate the other. It really boils down to this. There are only two driving forces on the earth. God is one and Satan is the other. So often we want to convolute what's driving us. Well, you don't understand my motivation. My motivation is this. My motivation is that. If you strip all the layers away and strip all the generations away, it ultimately comes back to one of two lines of genealogy. Either God or Satan. One or the other. I tell people all the time in Wisconsin, because my, my girlfriend lives in Milwaukee, and I told her earlier in our relationship, she's like, oh, you guys, it's nice. You guys got two baseball teams, so you must support both baseball teams. I'm like, oh, bite your tongue. No, 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 no. Cubs or Sox? You gotta pick a side. You live in Chicago. There is no well. I pre. No, no, no. I bleed black and white. Other people bleed red, white, and blue. I don't hate them. I think they just made a bad decision, and vice versa. They say the same about me. But the point of the matter is, when you're in a major city like Chicago, when you're in a major city like New York, when you're in a major city like like California there is no compromise. You can't blend both. You have to pick a side. Pick one or the other. You got to pick one. Why? Because in picking one, that means that you've taken the time to really analyze and, and, and hear what each of them have to say. And based on that, you make a determination of who you ultimately want to follow. So often we have individuals that based on who they see, and based on what's going on, they want to follow the order of the day. They want to follow this person. This person's popular today, so I'm going to follow them. Then next week, well, this person's popular this week, so I'm going to follow them. And then the week after that, well, this person over here is popular this week, so I'm going to follow them. God's not called us to do that. The Word lets us know that we have to let our yea be yea and we have to let our nay be nay. What does that mean? That means if we're standing for God, God's Word is the same yesterday, it's the same today, and it's the same forever. If it was sin back in the Old Testament, and it sin in the New Testament, it can't be seen as, as, as a generally accepted principle now. It's still sin today because God doesn't change. Yes, yeah, so often we want to change. Well, we have to roll with the times. Yes, we do have to roll with the times. However, the word tells us that, this, okay, that there's nothing new under the sun. Sin is still sin. Good is still good. Bad is still bad. God is still God. And guess what? Satan is still Satan. The word lets us know that who he is, he's the father of lies. The word also lets us know what his job description is. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's his job description. But Jesus said, I come, that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. That's his job description. So now we have the motivating forces of both. So now the question becomes, who are you going to pick? Pick a side. Do you want to ultimately work for somebody that steals and kills and destroys? Or do you ultimately want to work for somebody that can, that we might have a life, and that we might have it more abundantly? We have to live in such a way, which is what Paul was saying here, I count not myself to have apprehended. I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. I'm flawed. I'm imperfect. But the one thing that I do know is what my driving force is. So I'm forgetting all those things that are behind me and I'm reaching forward for those things that are before me because I've made up my mind which direction I'm going. I'm not going after death. I'm pressing towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God which is life and life in abundance through Christ Jesus. But understand, when you take a stand for something because the old saying goes if you don't stand for something you'll fall for anything, right? But here's the flip side of that saying and I'm making this saying up. That- when you do make a decision to stand for something, be willing to stand no matter what comes your way. It's kind of like when I go outside, I, don't, I I like thunderstorms, but I don't like being out in them. I'm gonna tell you why. I don't like being out in them because when I was little, I had asthma real bad, and for those who've had asthma, you understand asthma literally can take your breath away at, at an attack. And if it's windy out and you're having an asthma attack, literally your breath is being taken away and you just can't catch it. And when something traumatic happens, like I said at the outset, the human mind is designed to just place those things on mental pegs. So and I always equated when I was younger, windy, rainy days with I can't breathe because I'd have asthma attacks the spring because of allergies, this, that, and the other. Long story, but suffice it to say. I didn't like going outside on rainy windy days but as i got older you know i I began to to do things to help with the asthma and of course in taking the work side the lord healed me so i don't have that issue anymore so being an adult i used to do direct sales outside with my current employer you know i work inside now i manage a store now but when i went outside the first day i went outside in training. It started clouding up when I was out with my, with the person that was training me and when we came out of the house, it was storm. It was a real bad storm. It was real windy out. I don't want to go outside. I didn't want to go outside because I'm like, again, that mental peg was on that mental peg. But I had to realize something. I'm not the same person I was at that point in time. Because maturity happens. Growing takes place once you know better. Catch this. Once you know better you're inclined to do better because you believe that better can happen to you. I remembered in that instant what had happened. I remembered going down the aisle to be prayed for. I remember the work that I went through and I did, you know, running track like five, six years. I remember everything that happened, and I remember that I'm healed from this. So I had to take that stand and stand on the word and let the devil know, devil, look, trick no good. I'm going out here. I'm doing what I need to do. I'm doing what I get paid to do. You're not going to stop me because I'm not that person anymore because my word tells me that greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. My word tells me that I can do all things through Christ, even go out in this rain and not only survive, but thrive, do my job. I stepped on out in the rain. We got soaked, but I was fine. And we wound up having a great day. What am I saying? I'm saying that The enemy is going to do all he can because again, his job is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. When you steal something, a person steals something, that means that they're taking it without the permission of who it belongs to. And they have no intention of giving it back. When they kill something, it's designed to take something that doesn't belong to you with with no intentions of giving it back. When you destroy something, it's intended to take something that doesn't belong to you and render it absolutely useless, useless and ineffective. That's what the enemy wants to do with the gains that we've made in our lives because of the motivation that we've chosen. Because of the motivation that we've chosen, the enemy will love nothing more than to get on his job and to stop us from doing what it is that we're motivated to do. He would love nothing more than in the midst of us saying like Paul, I press towards the mark to start pressing against you to say, you know what, I'm done pressing. I'm sick of the press. I'm sick of the press. God is too much. I can't handle it. But I'm here to let you know you can handle it because the Word tells us that we can do all things through Christ, which strengthens us. It's not about us because we've already established, like Paul, we're imperfect. We're a mess. I'm not counting myself to have apprehended. I'm a mess. And I know I'm a mess. But because I'm perfect, not flawless, but because I'm perfect, meaning I'm mature <laughs> enough to say, God, I'm a mess and I need your help. Because perfect in the Greek literally is from a word that translates into mature. So when you hear people say, well, the Bible says I've got to be perfect. Yes, it does. But it doesn't mean that we got to be flawless. Because think about it. Use common sense. If we were flawless, we wouldn't have need for a Savior. It's not hard. Well, I'm perfect. OK, then if you're perfect based on man's eyes, and if we're all perfect that way, Jesus came. Why? The Word lets us know that God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but what, have everlasting life. Which means if we were perfect, there would have been no reason for Jesus to come. But what He's saying is, is that if we're mature enough to realize, recognize, and expose the enemy for who He is, by admitting, God, I'm flawed. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I don't have it all together. I profess your name and I profess salvation, but I still miss it, which is why I need your salvation. Guess what? You've given the enemy no place to hide. I use this analogy. I don't don't remember who I was talking to. Oh, it was a co-worker at work, and we were talking about the enemy, we talked about this very thing. I said the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but the enemy is like a codependent criminal. And they're like, what do you mean? I said, let me give you an example. A codependent criminal will say, okay, I don't mean to be a bother They knock on your front door when you're in the house. I don't mean to be a bother, but I'm just letting you know that I'm here to steal everything that you have, and I'm here to ruin your life, and I'm here to destroy everything that you know. Um, In order for me to do that, I need to get in the house. Would you be so kind as to open the door so I can come in and start ransacking your house, please? And and while you're at it, if it's not too much trouble, I didn't bring a bag with me. Would you happen to have a garbage bag that I could use to to put your stuff in? And and if you got a knife available, could you loan me a knife so I can kill you with it? A codependent criminal. Why do I say that? Because unless and until we open the door to let the enemy in, he can't do anything. He's a codependent criminal. If you don't want the criminal to take anything, don't let him in. He don't have a way to break in. He don't have a key to get in. He doesn't have anything to threaten you with. He doesn't. Yet so often we allow the press that comes in to override our motivation. And Paul is saying right here, look, I don't have it together. I'm not perfect, but all I know is this one thing. All the stuff that I thought I knew, that the world said I shouldn't do, I'm laying it down because I'm pressing towards a mark because Jesus helped me understand and see the way. That's why Jesus said, I... In the way, meaning Christ, the truth, and the life. Amen. Amen. Leads us to point number three. I'm almost done. Uh, and that's by demonstrating complete dedication. And let me read, let me try to read a little bit further here. Uh, it says, verse 15, Therefore let us, as many as are mature, or perfect, if in the, in the Greek, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Complete dedication. Trust. Faith is blind trust in God. What is blind trust? Blind trust means God, I I have no idea what you're saying. I don't understand. I don't comprehend it at all. But because you are who I know you are, I'm going to do what you told me to do. It makes absolutely no sense to me. What I'm going to do Biblical example, we talked about it last week in our message. God said to Abraham, take your son Isaac, your only son, take him to the hill over there, sacrifice him. Abraham said, okay. Took, it, took Abraham, Abraham took Isaac over there. He turned around and said to his men, Me and the boy are going up there to worship on the hill, and we'll be back. Notice he said, we'll be back. He didn't say, I'll be back. He said, we'll be back. They go up there. Isaac says, Dad, we got the wood, We got everything we need. Where's the sacrifice at? Meaning Abraham had told Isaac he was a sacrifice. Abraham again goes, son, don't worry. The Lord will provide. Isaac says, okay, because Isaac trusts his father, which is what we dealt with last week on the father's Being an example of faith. Word goes on to say that Abraham bound Isaac, tied him up, put him on the wood, lit the fire, everything was ready. Had the knife up, getting ready to strike his own son. Never once wavering, his faith never wavered. It looked bad for both of them. It looked bad for Abraham because Abraham was about to kill his son based on man's eyes. It looked bad for Isaac because Isaac was about to be killed willingly. Because at no point, like I said in the message last week, at no point did it say in the Word that Isaac tried to run away. It didn't say Isaac called DCFS. It didn't say Isaac tried to call the news. It said Isaac asked one question, and based on the faith of his father, he laid there. He didn't move. And sure enough, God being God moved. Why? Because they both walked by faith and not by sight. They trusted God blindly you so often, we and I educated selves, well, Lord, if you show me a sign, I'd I, I, I like to think that you want me to do this, but if you can give me a sign, that's not walking by faith, that's walking by sight. Anybody can walk by sight. You don't even need 20-20 vision to do that. But walking by faith means that you have to have a sense of knowing. If I were to close my eyes and put a blindfold on right now and tell you all, you may go out to my car, I'll be right back, knowing I can't see anything, That would be a lot harder journey than if I say I'm running out to my car to get my glasses. I'll be right back because I can see where I'm going. But God is calling us to do it the first way because in and of ourselves, we're not complete. We're nothing more than uh, um, replications of God. God wants to use us in the earth. We have to trust God's eyes. We have to trust God's sight. We have to trust God's vision. Because God's vision is perfect, meaning flawless. God knows everything. He knows. In the, hymn, Jesus, uh, in the hymn, there's not a friend. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He knows everything there is to know about us. He knows our getting up. He knows our laying down. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows the number of breaths in our body and our lives. He knows, he knows how many times our hearts are going to beat. He knows every heartache we're going to go through. He knows every time we're going to fail him. He knows. So if he knows everything. Would it not stand to reason? instead of us stumbling through life, like it says here, as paraphrase, just trust. Have blind trust in God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of what? Things not seen. That means that faith is no, on the natural side, there's no guarantee that what you see is going is to come to pass other than the fact that you believe that it's going to come to pass. But that's what God is calling us for. And it's taking us right back to our driving force. It's taking us right back to having the attributes of our Father. If you go back in Genesis, you'll look look in Genesis 1, you'll see that it says in Genesis 1, all the way up to us, that until it came to us, God did what it said. And God said, and God said, let there be, and there was. And God said this, and God said, and God said, and God said, and and there was. Meaning that words carry weight. And if we were created in the image and likeness of God, we should function like him. Image means we look like him. Likeness means we function like him, which means we walk like him, we talk like him, we act like him. We should expect the same end result because we are offspring of him. Because literally the only thing that God put his hands on in the creative process is us. Because it says on the the sixth day, and God said, and God said, Let us make man in our image. He could focus into existence. But he made us into existence. And not only that, he sealed what he made, again, to a number of witness. Not only did he put his hands on us, so he literally has his mark on us from the outside, but the word goes on to say that he breathed the breath of life into our nostrils and man became a living soul. So now we have the essence of God on the inside, which means we're created to function and act just like him. So would it not stand to reason that if we're created to function and act just like God, that we should trust God because he literally made each and every one of us? You know how we say when people that get on our nerves, when God made you, he broke the mold? Guess what? The word says that each of us are fearfully and wonderfully made, so when God made each and every one of us, he broke the mold. But he didn't break the mold because, oh, man, what did I do? Very much the opposite. He made each and every one of us because he knew that in the world and in the tapestry that is in life, only need one person, just like you and I. Which means that every individual that he's designed us to interweave our lives into to make that mosaic, we gotta do it. We may not understand why we have to do it. We may not understand how we have to do it. God may use the craziest of circumstances to break two people's lives together, but all he asks us to do is be open every day. Be open to being the best we that we can be. Paul was basically saying, look, I'm imperfect. I don't have all the answers. i got to get my own life together. But I know one thing. I'm going to forget all the stuff that I think I know, and I'm going to use my heart and my spirit and every fiber of my being to uh, to drive towards doing God's will because that's my motivating factor. And even though I don't have all the answers to understand, I'm going to blindly trust God because I know that God is not going to fail me. And no matter what press comes my way, I'm going to meet that press head on. With doing what God has called me to do. Because I know that God's ways are much better than the enemy's ways. Amen. Which leads me to the last point, and then really I'm done. The last point here is by encouraging active participation. Amen. Amen. Everything that we do, as I said before, is designed to be a blessing to somebody else and to get somebody else involved. Let me let me squint through this last portion, and I can put this away. Steve, thank you. It's been a lifesaver. So it says here, God will reveal even this to you. Verse 16. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. I got my my bachelor's degree in college in communication. And one of the first things that we had to learn how to do is conjugate the verb to be. Because if you can't conjugate the verb to be, you can't communicate. And one of the ways of conjugating the verb to be is to understand the different tenses, you know, of be and being and then et cetera, and to understand the tenses of I and you and we. Notice it says in that passage of Scripture, up to that point, Paul was saying, first person, I. Okay? Brethren, I, I'll let you know, brethren, that, that I've not attained this. Okay? I've not apprehended it, but this one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind, which implies I'm forgetting those things that are behind. And reaching forth for those things that are before, meaning I'm reaching forth for those things which are before, I press towards the mark, etc. Everything is first person, just him, singular, until we get to this point. At this point, it stops being about me and I, and it starts being about we and us. Everything that we go through in life is designed not for our glory, but first and foremost for God's glory, and secondarily for our good, meaning if we win the lottery, if we were to win the lottery as as an example, do you really think our response if we won the lottery would be, well, fantastic, I won the lottery, I'm going to put the ticket back in my pocket, and I'm going to go have a seat, and me and mine are going to be taking care of the rest of our lives, and nobody's going to know about it. That's not going to happen simply because, Whether you believe it or not, if you ever take the time to read the really, 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 really fine print, that small print on the back of the ticket, one of the things that really you have to do is you have to, if you win a prize, like over a certain amount, you have to at least avail yourself initially to it being made known publicly that, hey, you won. You can choose to be anonymous, but we're never anonymous. Because think about it. If, if, If I... You don't have to think about it. If I won five hundred million dollars in the lottery, and I said I'm going, look, announce me anonymously, and they say, well, we had a five hundred million dollar ticket sold in the Grange. Okay, you've kind of already pinpointed the general area where they are. Do you really think that I'm going to be quiet and just sit <coughs> on five hundred million dollars? No. When you see the new car pull up. And you see new houses being built, and, and right. You see thousand dollars dress jackets that I wouldn't buy twenty years ago, and you see all kinds of stuff happening. People aren't stupid. They're gonna start putting one and one together. What I'm saying is, and what I'm saying is this, and I submit this to you, and I'm done. Everything that we aspire to do is meeting the press. Like I said earlier, an irresistible force meets an immovable object, and when those two things converge, an impact happens. If you've ever been on the lakefront, and I think it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. If you've ever been on the lakefront you see somebody jogging along the lakefront, when well, that impact happens. you got to see what happens when that water comes down. It affects them, right? It affects them, oh yeah, on a bike, that's even better, oh, that's great, on a bike. As long as they don't fall on the lake, that's hilarious, I love it. So, I, mean, I could park and just watch that. I go get some pure popcorn and just sit there and just watch that for hours. But what am I saying? With the irresistible force of the enemy seeking to come in like a flood, his immovable object of those individuals, you and I, who know Jesus Christ. It makes an impact, which means there's going to be a blow-up. God always wins. When God wins and does the miraculous, individuals that are around you are going to get hit by the splashback from that, so the I becomes an us. So when you sow that seed and God begins to move and it makes an impact in your life, people that are near you because they know you and know what you stand for are going to get hit by that impact. And if by chance they don't know Christ, guess what? Each and every time that happens, we're now building a case for them to say yes to Jesus. Because it goes back to the principle of sowing and reaping. Everything that we do in our lives is seed. And as we continue to plant that seed and that seed continues to get sown, the greatest thing that destroys a seed from coming to harvest is time. So often we don't want to wait and take the time necessary to cultivate that seed. But the time is necessary in prayer and in fellowship and in striving to live as a Christian. And even when you make a mistake being transparent enough to say, hey, man, hey, hey, girl, I, I messed up here. Because what happens is during that time of germination for that seed, that individual is watching your life because the word says mark the perfect man. There's that word perfect again, meaning mature. Mark the perfect man and and, and watch his ways. Why? Because if he's doing it the right way and if he's doing it God's way, it sure as you sow a seed, seed time and harvest are certain in God's economy and scale. If we're doing it the right way, we're going to see a harvest. And when that harvest comes, it's going to bless somebody because the impact of that growing, even in situations where it shouldn't grow, are going to have an impact in the lives of others. And they're going to be like, huh, well, if they can do it, I can do it too. Because I know where they came from. They didn't come from a perfect situation. They had mistakes. They had missteps. They had sickness. They had divorce. They had stuff happen to them. They had stuff happen to their kids. They had bankruptcies happen in their lives, yet they're still here. So maybe there's hope for me. That's what Paul is saying. As sure as seed time and harvest happens, as sure as the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, as sure as the Lord hasn't returned yet, As sure as the gospel is still being preached, like the commercialists, if if it's Sunday, it's meet the press. If it's life, we have to meet the press. Amen. Amen. If it's a soul on the line, we have to meet the press. If our brother or sister is in need, we have to stop counting how much we got and realize it's better to give than to receive and meet the press. If a sister or brother's in need and it's three o'clock in the morning and they call saying they need prayer, stop thinking about you got to get up in two hours and meet the press because there's a reason why God had them reach out to you. You never know. That prayer might be the prayer that saves their lives. That prayer might be the prayer that changes their lives forever. You may never get a chance to see it on this side. I had last story and I'm done. A friend of mine. A friend of mine uh, went to, and I'm really done because you see him am closing the Bible, I'm done. Um, a friend of mine I went to high school with had fallen in a bad way. And we were young. I was 26 at this time, but I I'd just gotten married. I'd seen him on, fr- uh, on Friday. And he'd been out there on drugs really, really bad. And this was one of the first times I was preaching at my home church. I said, man, I'm preaching Sunday. I'd love to have you come out. He's like, man, I'm getting tired. I, it just seems like nothing's working for me out here. I'm like, man, look, if you want to come Sunday, we'd love to have you come. I mean, I'm, I'm not that it's about me because it's not. I'm, I'm bringing the word Sunday. I'm excited about it. It's one of my first times preaching. But more importantly, you know, the key is to just realize that God is in control. And if you're tired, he's there and ready to pick you up. He's like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to come. I'm ready to make a change. That was Friday. He was a gifted artist, too. I mean, he could draw anything. Like these animes that you see now, he was drawing these back in 93. You know? That was Friday. He went out with some friends of his Saturday and was walking home. He had had something to drink. He was walking home. He fell on a railroad track by our house. A train killed him Saturday night. So he never made it to Sunday morning. My hope and my prayer and my belief is in that instant, what he said, that he was coming. I believe that he truly made the change in his life at that moment. You may not ever always see what seed comes up. It's not about us seeing how much harvest we have. It doesn't matter how much harvest we got behind us. All that matters, my father always taught me, even now when I go see him at the center, I, I still remember it. It's not about what's behind you. It's about what's in front of you. That makes a difference. What's behind you can't hurt you. What's in front of you can destroy you if you don't pay attention to it. God is calling us in our lives to meet the press. Amen? Amen. We thank and praise God for his word on today, and we thank and praise God for the opportunity and the privilege to be used by him to meet that press. And if you're here today, and you don't know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior and you desire to do so. If you'd raise your hand where you are, we'll be more than happy to come and pray the prayer of faith with you. I pray that you were blessed by today's word. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead that we would be saved if you've never taken the opportunity to do either one of those things won't you join me now in prayer let's pray Lord Jesus I come before you a sinner I believe that you sent your son to die that I might live I believe that he lived died rose again ascended to heaven and is coming back for sinners just like me. I confess my sin. I ask you into my heart. And I ask you into my life. Thank you, Lord, that by faith I am now saved. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like to welcome you into the household of faith and into a loving relationship of salvation with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please email me and let me know of your experience or if you have any prayer requests or praise reports, please email me. The email address is Living Witness at gmail.com. That's Living the number two witness at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Pastor Derek Thomas, encouraging you to live your life as a living witness.